guys, today we're going to read chapter 5, Shakespeare's Bride, so here I go. That Saturday, when we gave our farewell performance at the Globe, the yard and the galleries were charmed to overflowing with people who well knew that it would likely be their last chance to see the play until cold weather came around again, and with it, the end of the plague season. The days that followed were every bit as hectic as if we had gone on performing, but instead of learning lessons and playing roles, we were occupied we occupied our hours by packing wooden chests full of properties and costumes and taking them down to the yard where we loaded them into one of the two carriers or play wagons that the sharers had had specially constructed for the poor. Mr. Burbage, who had learned the skills of a joiner, or carpenter from his father had designed the car carewares so that the sides would be taken down and laid across the wagon beds from from to form a makeshift stage. The, the wagons were occupied with canvas tops to keep the rain off, not off the players off the properties and customs which unlike us uh, costumes which unlike us could not be easily replaced in addition the paraphernalia necessarily for staging our plays would be carrying us with us wool filled sticks and bidding for, as Mr. Hemmings pointed out, we would not always be certain of finding an inn, or if we did, of having the money to lodge there. Meanwhile, the sharers were attending to more subtitle and less muscular matters, which, as purchasing horses and supplies, Obtaining our playing license and a gauging voice to take Sanders' place in the company as if anyone could. Though I knew I would be wise to make the most of our last days together for some time to come, I spent much of the time stupidly slumping. Sander pretended not to notice my resentful manner and went on being as usual cheerful self. As we were carrying a heavy trunk filled with stage, armor, and weapons along the second floor gallery, I spotted Mr. Armin entering the yard accompanied by a youth who, though I had I had seen him but once before, I recognized innocently by his head and blonde curls. I, I sent my hand on the trunk on the gallery, reeling the clash of hands in my head. Oh, 
law. I groaned. They've hired a boy from the chap and children. Sanders glanced over at the railing boy who had been introduced around the company and then looked back to me. You don't need look so stricken away. Sur- surely it's better to have a ca- capable actor like him than one of those dolts who we've had to put up with lately. Oh, I. Well, may you say that. You'll have no... You'll have to compete with him for parts. You'll be here playing horsey and wiping noses. Sanders smiled patiently. Did I not tell you that you were every bit as good an actor as he is? Aye, but it's not me you have to convince. It's the sheriff. No, says Sanders. I think it's you. Let's get this down to the payroll. Before my arms fall off and they pack them beat the chest with the big plaster lines. And we wrestled the trunk down the gallery stairs. I kept one eye on the new boy. His manner was agreeable enough. He smiled in a charming way and greeted each member of the company which with what seemed since sincere pleasure. When he was introduced to Mr. Burbage, he almost reverential and, from what I could overhear, lavish in engraving the man's portrait of Helmet, which the boy apparently had seen no less than twelve times. He seemed equally honored to make the acquaintance of Mr. Shakespeare. As we loaded the chest in the firewood, Mr. Arnold called, Wage, Sander, come and meet our new prentice. You too, Sam. Sam, who was in bed, who was in the bed of the wagon arranging boxes and bundles, jumped down next to me. Looks like a bit of a lip, lips, lips fiddle to me, he whispered. A what? You know, a book, a book liquor flat this is scolded Sander. Be nice now. It hurts not tongue to do fair work. Just don't ask me to hold my tongue, Sander said. That does hurt. We strolled over to Mr. Arnold. Boys, he said, I'd like to you to meet our uh, I'd like you to make welcome my new colleague, Samuel Pavey. Santhio, Sam echoed. I could have sworn he was set to snicker, but he somehow restrained himself. Very pleased to meet you. He held out a hand to Santhio Pavey, who took it very gen- genuinely, but very briefly. In, twa- in trice, he, his charming smile had transformed to a look of horror. He jumped as if he had been beaten and flung to the ground as the hand of Sam had offered him. And it was one of the plaster models 
that you present in loveliness and fear him with tithes and prophets. Sam doubled over with laughter, and Sandra and I could keep not falling asleep. Even Ar- Mr. Armin had trouble keeping Sabbath. As you can see, he said, our boys are always willing to give a new member of a company hand. I expected uh, Cynthia Peggy, once he had recovered from the MTL shock, to join in the laughter and perhaps make a jest of his own return. Instead, he turned on his heel immediately and stalked out of the yard. Well, Sam said, I trust you are an you were not counting on him to play comic parts. Clearly he has no sense of humor. And you, said Mr. Armin, clearly has no sense of tact. You boys have your fun. Now I expect you to make him welcome, boys, just as you were made welcome when you joined the company. Is that clear? We wiped off our foolish grins and and nodded and tried to look fairly chastened. As Mr. Armin walked away, he he called over his shoulder, Sam, you need to work on your romanceful look. Have the others coach you. When he was gone, Sanders said, he's right, you know. What's wrong with the way I look? Sam, he demanded, I mean about marking the new boy welcome. I doubt he has ever played in the adult company before. It's bound to be hard for him. I thought back on how difficult it had been for me during my old early weeks as apprentice, learning that that what was expected of me of delivering it. If Sander and Julia had not given me help and encouragement, I would not still have been with the company. It was, I suppose, my turn to do the same. I'll fetch him, I said, and we'll start over. Sam? prompted Sander. Sam sighed and rolled his eyes. Yes, all right, I'll try. He screwed his face up into a grimace. How's that? Do I look corrosible now? Do you look as though you swallowed a fishbone? I said, just look normal. Oh, said Sam, that's even harder. Samuel Peggy was sitting on the edge of the wooden footbridge that crossed one of the many drainage ditches around the theater. He was looking glumly out over the Thames toward Blackfairs as though wishing he'd never left it. I came up behind him, clearing my throat, so as not to startle him. Samuel? What can I call you, Saul? He did not answer or even acknowledge my presence. Undaunted, I went on. It, it seems we started off the wrong foot. I couldn't help adding, or hand, as, as it were. He gave me a sidewise glance at that I was anything but amused. 
Perhaps Sam was right. Perhaps he did not just appreciate the jest. Knowing he must be feeling like an outsider, I looked for a way to include him. We'll all appreciate it, and you'd give us a, I'd almost said, a hand. And you'd help us with loading the carriage for the tour. He turned to look at me directly at last, and his despairing expression was less hostile than wary. Was it? Aye, those trunks get heavy, I said, flexing my aching arms. He, he gave me a thin smile that was totally unlike the one he had displayed when greeting the company. It held no charm nor warmth, but was good as a key. You'll excuse me if I don't I do not oblige you. I was a high I was hired to be an actor, not a stick a stagehand. For a moment I was struck dumb by an unexpected and unwarranted rudeness of his reply. When I then I felt a flood of anger. I could scarcely keep myself from giving him a slight show which was all that would be required to topple him into the drainage ditch. But I remind myself of Mr. Armour's instruction to feel him, to make him feel welcome. I tried again. I saw you perform some week, some two weeks ago in the Polodesto. You were, I paused. I did not wish to overrate him. You were noticeably better than the others. Is that what's supposed to be a compliment? I. He tilted his head in the way in that, and and he had been a lesser actor might have seemed merely quizzical. He managed somehow to make it clear that he was mocking my speech. I beg your pardon. Yes, I said fervently. Uh, it meant to be yes. Well, I am afraid. It did not succeed. If I were only no noticeably better than other than those those than those wretches, I'd been looking for a new carrier. I was sorely tempted to suggest some possibilities, perhaps something to be hermiting line. But again, I restrained myself without effort. When I returned to the yard, Santa asked, Did you find him? I, I said, I found him in the conceited ass. Really? said Sam. That's good. I frowned at him. Why is that? Well, don't you see? We can take turns riding him. Though, Sand, though Sam's comment was made in jest, it had teeth in it. The truth was, the company was not would, could not afford mounts for all of us, so only the sheriff could ride. We apprentices and hired men would, as usual, have to rely on shanks men. The company had purchased teams of horses to pull the wagons, and of course, but of course, but these were holding draft animals, even if they could.
could have borne extra weight of a rider, we could not have stood their jolting gait for long. The day we had set to, for our departure proved a dismal one, but we could not put it off, for Mr. Hemmings had booked an appearance for us in the raiding two days hence. It would have been hard enough in the best of the weather to leave the comfortable, familiar surroundings and the folk I had knew and loved best for the uncertain existence of the road. The rain that leaked from the subdued sky made the prospect even less appealing. My leave taking was as different from the way I had left Dr. Bright's home a year earlier as Barrowith is different from London. Back then, not a soul had seemed to care rush what had become of me. Now the young boys vowed noisily not to let me go and clung to my clothing like burrs until Mr. Pope pulled them off. Teddy, meanwhile, stood apart and gazed at me, unblinking, as though memorizing me. Grady Williamson cheerfully embraced me, as though I had been her own son. Though Mr. Pope left me with a litany of advice nearly as exhaustive as that given by the Polonius and Allegrates in Mr. Shakespeare's Hamlet. But whereas Polonius, until late, adumption was to thine own self be true. Mr. Pope stressed that, above all, above all, I should not whistle in the curing room lest I bring ill luck upon the company. I reminded him that we would not have a curing room. He dismissed this and went on to tell me of a white he had known who whistled behind the stage during the performance. What befell him, I asked. One of his fellow players chucked a pot of face paint at him to shut him up. I struck him in the temple and killed him as dead as a duck. Well, I said, that certainly was a work. I downed my cloak. I must go. We're to meet at nine o'clock outside the new gate. I'll walk with you away, away, said Sander. Just as we were going out the door, Teddy rushed up to me and pressed something into my hand. He quickly retreated. I glanced down at the object. It was a sheet of paper folded into a tiny square. I looked for Teddy, but she had vanished. Move your bones, 
called Xander. I'm getting soaked. I thrust a square of paper into my wallet and caught up with it. You, you'll write me now and again, I hope, said Xander. And we traversed the muddy slope to the river. Mr. Pope says that most carriers who travel to to and from the city would also handle letters. Hi, but how will you ever reply? They've told me some of the towns you'll be playing in. I can send letters ahead so so to be held for you. I wish you were coming. No more than than I do. But sometimes wishes must yield to duty. He put a hand on my shoulder. Cheer up. Autumn will be here before you know it, and everything will be the way it was. Perhaps better. I would that I could believe I would if that I could believe that. Have I ever lied to you? Nay, not that I can. Go on. We shook hands. Then we urged then he urged me to toward the waiting wherry boat. As he pulled away from the shore, it, he called after me. Cheer up. I waved and feigned a smile that did not credit the, to my acting skills. The boat had the small canopy that shielded me from the rain. Remembering the paper Teddy had given me, I threw it from my wallet and unfolded it carefully. It was crudely drawn picture of a group of human figures. Two fat ones, Goody Willingson and Mr. Pope, and a dozen small ones wearing wide grins. Standing apart from the others is a small figure with dark hair and eyes. Beneath the picture, printed in the crooked, uncertain letters, were the words, So you'll not forget us. So that was chapter five. Bye guys, see you later. See you later, see you later, see ya. See ya. Later. Bye, Bye guys. guys.